Barnaby Rudge, Chapter Thirty Four. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Brad Philippone. Barnaby Rudge by Charles Dickens, Chapter Thirty Four. Before old John had looked at the boiler quite twenty minutes, he got his ideas into a focus and brought them to bear upon Solomon Daisy's story the more he thought of it the more impressed he became with a sense of his own wisdom and a desire that mr haredale should be impressed with it likewise at length to the end that he might sustain a principal and important character in the affair and might have the start of solomon and his two friends through whose means he knew the adventure with a variety of exaggerations would be known to at least a score of people and most likely to mr haredale himself by breakfast time to-morrow he determined to repair to the warren before going to bed he's my landlord thought john as he took a candle in his hand and setting it down in a corner out of the wind's way opened a casement in the rear of the house looking towards the stables we haven't met of late years so often as we used to do changes are taking place in the family it's desirable that i should stand as well with them in point of dignity as possible the whispering about this here tale will anger him it's good to have confidences with a gentleman of his nature and set one's self right besides hello there hugh hugh hello widdy had repeated this shout a dozen times and startled every pigeon from its slumbers a door in one of the ruinous old buildings opened and a rough voice demanded what was amiss now that a man couldn't have his sleep in quiet what haven't you sleep enough growler that you're not to be knocked up for once said john no replied the voice as the speaker yawned and shook himself not half enough i don't know how you can sleep with the wind of bellowsing and roaring about you making the tiles fly like a pack of cards said john but no matter for that wrap yourself up in something or another and come here for you must go as far as the warren with me and look sharp about it hugh with much low growling and muttering went back into his lair and presently reappeared carrying a lantern and a cudgel and enveloped from head to foot in an old frowsy slouching horsecloth mr willet received this figure at the back door and ushered him into the bar while he wrapped himself in sundry greatcoats and capes and so tied and knotted his face in shawls and handkerchiefs that how he breathed was a mystery you don't take a man out of doors at near midnight in such weather without putting some heart into him do you master said hugh i put the heart as you call it into him when he has brought me safe home again and his standing steady on his legs ain't of so much consequence so hold that light up if you please and go on a step or two before to show the way hugh obeyed with a very indifferent grace and a longing glance at the bottles old john laying strict injunctions on his cook to keep the doors locked in his absence and to open to nobody but himself on pain of dismissal followed him into the blustering darkness out of doors the way was wet and dismal and the night so black that if mr willet had been his own pilot he would have walked into a deep horse-pond within a few hundred yards of his own house and would certainly have terminated his career in that ignoble sphere of action but hugh who had a sight as keen as any hawk's and apart from that endowment could have found his way blindfold to any place within a dozen miles dragged old john along quite deaf to his remonstrances and took his own course without the slightest reference to or notice of his master so they made head against the wind as they best could hugh crushing the wet grass beneath his heavy tread and stalking on after his ordinary savage fashion 
john willet following at arm's length picking his steps and looking about him now for bogs and ditches and now for such stray ghosts as might be wandering abroad with looks of much dismay and uneasiness as his immovable face was capable of expressing at length they stood upon the broad gravel-walk before the warren-house the building was profoundly dark and none were moving near it save themselves from one solitary turret-chamber however there shone a ray of light and towards this speck of comfort in the cold cheerless silent scene mr willet bade his pilot lead him the old room said john looking timidly upward mr reuben's own apartment god be with us i wonder his brother likes to sit there so late at night on this night too why where else should he sit asked hugh holding the lantern to his breast to keep the candle from the wind while he trimmed it with his fingers it's snug enough ain't it snug said john indignantly you have a comfortable idea of smugness you have sir do you know what was done in that room you ruffian why what is it the worse for that cried hugh looking into john's fat face does it keep out the rain and snow and wind the less for that is it less warm or dry because a man was killed there ha 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 never believe it master one man's no such matter as that comes to mr willet fixed his dull eyes on his follower and began by a species of inspiration to think it just barely possible that he was something of a dangerous character and that it might be advisable to get rid of him one of these days he was too prudent to say anything with the journey home before him and therefore turned to the iron gate before which this brief dialogue had passed and pulled the handle of the bell that hung beside it the turret in which the light appeared being at one corner of the building and only divided from the path by one of the garden walks upon which this gate opened mr haredale threw up the window directly and demanded who was there begging pardon sir said john i knew you sat up late and made bold to come round having a word to say to you willet is it not of the maypole at your service sir mr haredale closed the window and withdrew he presently appeared at a door in the bottom of the turret and coming across the garden walk unlocked the gate and let them in you are a late visitor willet what is the matter nothing to speak of sir said john an idle tale i thought you ought to know of nothing more let your man go forward with the lantern and give me your hand the stairs are crooked and narrow gently with your light friend you swing it like a censer hugh who had already reached the turret held it more steadily and ascended first turning round from time to time to shed his light downward on the steps mr haredale following next eyed his lowering face with no great favour and hugh looking down on him returned his glances with interest as they climbed the winding stairs it terminated in a little ante-room adjoining that from which they had seen the light mr haredale entered first and led the way through it into the latter chamber where he seated himself at a writing-table from which he had risen when they had rung the bell come in he said beckoning to old john who remained bowing at the door not you friend he added hastily to hugh who entered also willet why do you bring that fellow here why sir returned john elevating his eyebrows and lowering his voice to the tone in which the question had been asked him he's a good guard you see don't be too sure of that said mr haredale looking towards him as he spoke i doubt it he has an evil eye there's no imagination in his eye returned mr willet glancing over his shoulder at the organ in question certainly there is no good there be assured said mr haredale wait in that little room friend and close the door between us hugh shrugged his shoulders and with a disdainful look which showed either that he had overheard 
or that he guessed the purport of their whispering, did as he was told. When he was shut out, Mr. Haredale turned to John, and bade him go on with what he had to say, but not to speak too loud, for there were quick ears yonder. Thus cautioned, Mr. Willet, in an oily whisper, recited all that he had heard and said that night, laying particular stress upon his own sagacity, upon his great regard for the family, and upon his solicitude for their peace of mind and happiness. The story moved his auditor much more than he had expected. Mr. Haredale often changed his attitude, rose and paced the room, returned again, desired him to repeat, as nearly as he could, the very words that Solomon had used, and gave so many other signs of being disturbed and ill at ease, that even Mr. Willet was surprised. "'You did quite right,' he said, at the end of a long conversation, "'to bid them keep their story secret. It is a foolish fancy on the part of this weak-brained man, bred in his fears and superstition.' But Miss Haredale, though she would know it to be so, would be disturbed by it if it reached her ears. It is too nearly connected with a subject very painful to us all to be heard with indifference. You are most prudent, and have laid me under a great obligation. I thank you very much. This was equal to John's most sanguine expectations, but he would have preferred Mr. Haredale's looking at him when he spoke, as if he really did thank him, to his walking up and down, speaking by fits and starts, often stopping with his eyes fixed on the ground, moving hurriedly on again, like one distracted, and seeming almost unconscious of what he said or did. This, however, was his manner, and it was so embarrassing to John that he sat quite passive for a long time, not knowing what to do. At length he rose, Mr. Haredale stared at him for a moment, as though he had quite forgotten his being present, then shook hands with him and opened the door. Hugh, who was, or feigned to be, fast asleep on the antechamber floor, sprang up on their entrance, and, throwing his cloak about him, grasped his stick and lantern, and prepared to descend the stairs. "'Stay,' said Mr. Haredale. "'Will this man drink?' "'Drink? He'll drink the Thames up if it was strong enough, sir,' replied John Willet. He'll have something when he gets home. He's better without it now, sir. Nay, half the distance is done, said Hugh. What a hard master you are. I shall go home the better for one glassful halfway. Come. As John made no reply, Mr. Haredale brought out a glass of liquor and gave it to Hugh, who, as he took it in his hand, threw part of it upon the floor. What do you mean by splashing or drink about a gentleman's house, sir? said John. "'I'm drinking a toast,' Hugh rejoined, holding the glass above his head and fixing his eyes on Mr. Haredale's face. "'A toast to this house and its master.' With that he muttered something to himself, and drank the rest, and, setting down the glass, preceded them without another word. John was a good deal scandalized by this observance, but seeing that Mr. Haredale took little heed of what Hugh said or did, and that his thoughts were otherwise employed, he offered no apology, and went in silence down the stairs, across the walk, and through the garden gate. They stopped upon the other side for Hugh to hold the light while Mr. Haredale locked it on the inner, and then John saw with wonder, as he often afterwards related, that he was very pale, and that his face had changed so much and grown so haggard since their entrance that he almost seemed another man. They were in the open road again and John Willet was walking on behind his escort, as he had come, thinking very steadily of what he had just now seen, when Hugh drew him suddenly aside, and almost at the same instant three horsemen swept past. The nearer brushed his shoulder even then, who, checking their steeds as suddenly as they could, stood still, and waited for their coming up. 
End of chapter 34